Welcome to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network presented by Coors Light. Go from full-time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptors show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. I'm your host, William Liu. Joined for segment one by my co-host, Blake Murphy, Alex Wong. Uh, Does anyone want to talk Raptors-Hawks? That took place on Friday, Friday night. Raptors-Hawks. Anybody want to talk about this or... You guys want to talk about some of the other sort of things that happened in Toronto? Uh, just let me host, man. Um, okay. You're the only one that was there on Friday, so. Oh, you didn't have to expose yourselves, but all right. Yes, how, I was the only one who was there. How How was it? How was the blowout loss to the Atlanta Hawks? Um, I think, first off. Hard. Not a lot. of <laughs> It was hard to watch, for sure. Um, you know, so we typically sit in the 600s, and yep. there's usually, like, probably, like, 20 people up there on any given night. Mm-hmm. There's, like, maybe five. Okay. Is that the low low attendance across the board? I don't think people were were were, were dying to see a rematch, uh, except for me. I was actually really excited to see that one, and I think my big takeaway coming out of that game was like, whatever, it is hard to beat a team, you know, back to back, whatever. Um, but I just felt like the other team, meaning Atlanta, made more adjustments than Toronto. And mm-hmm. in terms of looking ahead towards like a playoff kind of setting, does the coach have the ability to adjust, and do the players have the ability to? play in a different way or play in a more cohesive way in a rematch kind of setting because like obviously there's not the intensity of the playoffs but it, i don't know it's the closest thing we get to see direct adjustments blake i mean I, i'm sure you reviewed the game you... yeah i mean i watched it i just yeah. wasn't there live and then did yeah. my usual rewatch and stuff i think uh in terms of playoff concerns the nice thing is you have at least one and three quarter seasons still before that matters and needs to be on your radar. Um, Hard. I don't think uh, I don't think you have to worry about that too much. That's it was fine. Darko's first time seeing an opponent twice in a row, so mm. I, I was curious about it too. Um, you know, I thought that Trey Young they maybe took away some of the passing stuff a little bit better, but he had just like so much room to shoot still. Yep. And you know, for two games in a row for for that to happen at that level is tough, even against a shot maker like Trey Young. I thought it was pretty disappointing that the starters once again got killed in their minutes, um, just continues a a long trend. And that to me is, you know, again, yeah, you're right that it is tough to beat a team twice in a row, tough to get up for that. But man, they they were coming off a game on the Wednesday where they played, I said it last week, they played like eight minutes of defense in that game. Mm -hmm. And that was enough to beat the Hawks because the Hawks are so bad defensively. And in this game, they played two minutes of good defense. It's a pretty consistent pattern at this point so i i mean yeah there was adjustment there were adjustment things but usually the type of adjustments you make game to game are you know hey a point here two points there that kind of thing when you come out and you get flattened from the first whistle and you lose by 20 again to a team that was 9 and 14 before that game you know that that's the kind of thing that i think is going beyond adjustments and tactics at this point and it's been a really consistent pattern with this team Yeah, you know, last week, Will, I think you were the one that asked the question about like, oh, when we talk about their slippage and defense and all this stuff, how much of it is buy-in, how much of it is the players, you know, being kind of committed to, to, you know, the group cause. Mm. Why are you smiling at me? (laughs) Sorry, man. I just keep going. Um, Is it my hair? Um, But like you you asked Coach David Thorpe about this too, I think. And he was like, that's the most important thing, right? And... You know, I kind of brushed it off last week when you mentioned it. It was just more like the guys just need to play better, et cetera. Maybe there's not enough talent on the roster. But it's like so hard when you see these performances like game to game and just the lack of like urgency or just the lack of drive towards building something now. Like it, I'm kind of buying in on that. It's like, yeah, are the players completely bought in? 
Yeah, look, uh, if the Raptors struggle offensively, like, I'm not entirely surprised. I don't think anyone's entirely surprised. There's not a lot of shooting on this roster or guards. We've, th- we've gone over this many times. It does surprise me for the Raptors to be this bad defensively. You can't tell me that the Raptors don't have good defensive personnel. You just can't. Like, and that is something that this team needed to bank on. You know, they even talked about it themselves. Like, they could be in a top 10 kind of setting um, in terms of just the, the people on the roster. You thought, as compared to last year, okay, you bring in Jakob Proto. You have a seven-foot player now on your roster that you can play on a consistent basis, something that they haven't had for the last couple of years. You know, how does that adjust for things? Dennis has a great reputation for being able to press and, you know, be a ball hawk. You know, does that kind of change what your defense looks like as well? Overall, you just have a really strong defensive core. And when you watch the games, it's like there's a lot of miscommunication that took place, especially in the second half, like Raptors uh, screwing up how they're going to switch. But... There's there's that aspect, which I think is nothing more than just players not being able to talk to each other, something that Pascal talked about in practice. Uh, I think, you know, it's it's also funny, too, because you you the urgency point that you mentioned is something that kind of bothered me to start Friday's game. It was like Clint Capella will get the ball in the post, and he would just run and just push his way through Jakob Pertl's chest and, and get to jump hooks and dunks and layups and, like, offensive rebounds. I think they were offensive rebounded, like, 16-3 to was the advantage for Atlanta. That to me is like a want to. That that is not just like a scheme kind of thing. That's not just like okay, everyone's kind of doing what they're supposed to at full intensity, but you know they're being out chess matched. Like no, that's 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 guys not really being tapped in. And I mean, if you can't get locked in at home against an opponent that is well under five hundred, then who can you get locked in against? It's tough. And to your point about you know, or to this entire conversation really about you know what is effort and being locked in or whatever what is tactics like yeah we're not talking about hey the hawks went off against the raptors because the raptors hedged trey too high on the pick and roll and capella was able to pick out the right pass or the tag wasn't coming at the right time or in the right spacing on capella's or or a kongwu's role it was no it's like there were little things like that but we're talking about you know for for games at a time now, they're not defending well in transition. For games at a time, they're getting beat in the possession battle. I know they had turned that around briefly. They kind of turned it on the Knicks' head on them and won that possession battle. But you're right. It was a 16-3 to offensive rebounding deficit. They turned the ball over more mm-hmm. than the Hawks did. And, like, that is something you can live with if you're a really good shot-making team and a team that defends the shots well. But this is not a good shot-making team. And I would argue that how poorly they've played defensively of late has basically turned the tap off on the transition offense that they need to yeah. survive so well. And, like, this is where I get into, you know, I've had a couple of people on Twitter ask me, like, well, you know, if guys check out or, like, guys have uncertainty about their contract situations, like, that stuff shouldn't affect the the effort stuff because – if anything, you should be doing, like, the issues should be trying to do too much, mm-hmm. right? Like, hey, I don't know what my future is like with this team. They're not sold on me. I got to audition for 29 other teams. That's like when you start taking, you know, one or two maybe bad shots because you're, you're trying to force it or whatever. You gamble for a steal and come up empty. You know, you, you dive too hard after a loose ball, pick up a foul here and there. It is not, hey, I've got to worry about my next paycheck, so I'm going to chill on defense and blow this help assignment. Like, that's that's not how that stuff manifests, I don't think. Um, and I, I really do think when we're trying to diagnose what is at the cause of this, even though it's not a direct one-on-one, the fact that they have really slid defensively and the fact that they continue to get out to really poor starts to games, I think are 
very related. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, the defense has really only turned on when they fall behind big, which they, they do a lot. But these are, you know, related things. Like, there isn't, there isn't an excuse. And for as much as the Raptors are, like, have tried to sell that this is still about figuring out who this group is, uh, that they're still developing, the starting lineup is five guys with experience. Like, oh, Scotty's yeah. in his yeah. third year, and he's on the youngest end of that. But, like, OG's been around. Pascal's been an all-NBA guy. Dennis and Jakob are, are like, 29, 30 years old. Like, mm-hmm. This this isn't a I'm uncertain about my lot in life and my lot on the roster and I don't know what how that how to do that defensively. It's also a team that over the first month of the season was really really good defensively. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense. Like there, I don't think there's you know a tactical thing here. I, I think it it really is there's something off with the you know level of preparedness and I hate doing the like it's just an effort thing. But like a lot of this stuff is fairly straightforward to clean up. Yeah. Disappointing. Disappointing stuff. Uh, a day after they get, they allow Trey Young to have 35 and 17. They allow him to have 38 and 11, including 15 attempts up from three, which is just like, that's where my concern was from the coaching perspective. It was like, okay, are they going to do something? We even had a conversation about this on Thursday. It was like, okay, yes, they won against Atlanta, but how can they defend Trey Young better? And then, Tactically, and Dennis kind it was of, even worse. Dennis kind of tipped their hand about that, right? Yeah. He was like, "Yeah, we didn't talk about doing much differently in the film session." And I didn't know how much of that was what? like Dennis <laughs> not Darko wanting to doing give, other than had, doing James Blunt impersonations, handing out, out chains, man. Um, yeah, yeah. And I didn't yeah. know if Dennis just like didn't want to reveal it, or like you know what we see as an adjustment is just kind mm-hmm. of like a tweak to them. Like it, it just doesn't register the same way. But then no, they came out and you know there were there was just not not that level of execution mm-hmm. and. You know, you you mentioned it for Capella to just like eat on Jakob inside is like, man, that's what you got Jakob for. Yeah, mm-hmm. to be a little more of a drop defense or, or help guy, but also like you're not supposed to have those nine one one situations in the paint that require so much help, require so much scrambling out. Like the point of getting more conservative on the defensive end this year was yes, you might take some strength off the table forcing turnovers but it should make you more solid everywhere and instead i think they are just worse everywhere and they've lost the defensive identity like i don't know what their defensive calling card is really supposed to be other than like let's be solid yeah instead of handing out a chain after wins they should hand out a chain after losses mm. like a blame chain yeah Ooh, <laughs> it's just got like, like a kettlebell like who, on the like bottom of did, it who did not step up tonight whose fault was it? They're like know? Malachi? There's for two... committing four fouls in the first half? <laughs> exactly. In eight minutes? I- exactly. Maybe you should you introduce go. this on your post-game pod. Yeah. Like the negativity chain. Oh, yeah? It's too much positivity. <laughs> no. I, I got to counterbalance Darko? <laughs> There's too much positivity for a team that's 10 and 15. Uh, I don't like this. Uh, all right. Uh, can I throw, to just to continue the negative thoughts on the defensive side, I have some Let's numbers go. for you yes, guys. Big stats. Okay. So I used to do this thing with J.D. Bunkus uh, and Ailish 4 when I was on the morning show that was called One Big number and they would just be like distill what's happening down into one number so this is not exactly that but it's since november 20th which is right after they blew the pistons out so best you know most feel good win of the season everyone gets their numbers and stuff like that since that happened Mm. and the next game if you're trying to place yourself in the schedule was the game they really didn't play well against the magic um so since that point in time they have fallen from 12th to 21st in half-court defense. They have fallen from 8th to 20th in defensive rebounding. They have fallen from 14th to 28th in transition defense. The net of that was up until November 20th, they were the number 7 defense in basketball. Since then, 
They have been number 25. And this is about the same amount of time. Yeah, and it doesn't even feel like they've played like crazy elite competition. Like They this, have not. This, they've this, played a yeah. bunch of middle tier. They've played a bunch of East playing teams. Right. This was the stretch where you were supposed to measure yourself against the, the middle yeah. of the conference. And obviously got Charlotte tonight. And it's like, we can joke about Charlotte and all this, but the Raptors better win tonight because they lost to the Hornets last time that they played. And then they've got Denver, Philadelphia. And then I know they've got a lot of the huge road trip coming up, I think in January mm -hmm. that takes them to the West coast. Like it's not getting any easier. And this 12 game stretch that I'm talking about in here, and I'll only read off the, the mediocre teams. They've played Chicago mm -hmm. who are under 500 and below them in the standings. Cleveland, who are really struggling, are about 500. Brooklyn, who are just kind of hanging around that area as well. Phoenix, the one good win in that stretch. New York, who have been pretty good. Mm. Uh, Miami, who are pretty good. Charlotte, who are really, really, really bad. Yep. And they played them without LaMelo Ball, by the way. Um, the Knicks again. And then two against Atlanta. Like, the Knicks are the best team that they've played in this stretch. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had the Magic and the Pacers in there too. But, like, these are not, you know, you didn't face the 72-win Warriors 12 times in a row. So for you to be 25th in defense on a chunk of the schedule that is just teams that rank from 12th to 4th in the Eastern Conference is like, it's really dispiriting. Yeah, a lot of these games, they really could have just flipped with a little bit better defensive focus, effort, intensity, scheme, but they just didn't, you know? And yeah, it's, it's not even like, okay, you could just point to the bench or you could just point to the starters. Like, I think both units have really struggled in this regard and... That's where I would love to hear like a real honest assessment from, you know, someone on the inside about this. Like for Darko to say, like, look, I know it's just unacceptable. Like when when is Darko gonna? Not, I guess I don't want him to do the Nick Nurse. Like I'm gonna rip into my guy. No, but there's a middle. There's a middle between what Darko Can is and what Nick that is. It's, there's a huge slip, and that there's a big issue with this because every mm -hmm. every press conference is is Darko being like Malachi. You know, <laughs> our defense is bad, but you should smile more. <laughs> No, I get it. Uh, like, it. It just goes back to the question for me. It's like, yeah, are the Raptors the worst team in the league that's trying to win? Uh, I still think the Bulls. Okay, but it's tight. But the Bulls are by the way. Are the Bulls are on swing. They almost beat yep. the, the Heat over the weekend. That was a really close game. Ooh, yeah. Some, uh, yeah, there was, for, for anyone who missed it, Kyle Lowry is just the genius to end all geniuses. So they were trying to, Miami was continually trying to attack Kobe White and get Jimmy Butler mm -hmm. switches onto Kobe White. And then uh, Chicago tried like pre-switching. So, hey, Kobe White, you go defend in the post mm -hmm. if it means we can keep you out of the pick and roll. So they pre-switch. But then what Kyle would do was like on the fly change the action that they were running and drag whoever Kobe was out into a stagger screen. And they did that multiple times. They did mm -hmm. a couple times in the third quarter. And then on the final possession of the game, Kyle did it again. Basically like grab a teammate, pull him into a stagger screen so that, yeah, you can try to go under two screens, but Kobe White's got to be the guy as Jimmy Butler turns the corner, yeah. being there. And, and, like, obviously Jimmy gets the credit for making the shots, but Kyle just doing galaxy brain well, stuff. Even something like that, going back to our conversation last week when David Thorpe came on and you discussed sort of just the lead playmaker responsibilities, that's an example of that, right? When you're the – okay, obviously defenses are going to change. They're going to hide. They're going to you know do whatever to avoid mismatches. The job of whoever the lead playmaker is is to – even despite all that, figure that out, especially figure that out in real time, and then make sure to go back to that uh, that that disadvantage. But anyway, what were you saying, Alex? So. Um, absolutely nothing. No, I was just I was just thinking too. It's like to that point, like to me, this is not like a collectively. It's not a high IQ team to me when I watch them. And it's like I know you talked about on Friday that they were basically beaten like every category. Mm -hmm. 
so when I watch this team, like, I don't understand. It's like they don't out-hustle other teams. They don't outsmart other teams. They don't out-coach other teams. They definitely don't out-shoot other teams. Yeah. Like, what do they do? <laughs> no, but you know the what? Like, no, but what it's like, do they do? I, I think yeah. about, like, Nick Nurse the last couple of years, like, playing yeah. the 6-7 man rotation. At least you had, like, a formula to winning. It was grinding. It, it was, wasn't the, sustainable. The way to it, yeah. it probably wasn't sustainable, and it wasn't. But, like, at least you knew there was a formula to win games. I don't know what that formula is right now. Well, I mean, maybe we could just reframe the whole idea then. Maybe, the, obviously, none of them will say that we're not trying to win, but mm-hmm. maybe the goal is just development. Yeah, but is that, e- is even that, then, like, no, like, because, it. look, players don't tank is the thing, okay, right? Like, yeah. like, these guys have their next contracts to worry about yeah. and things like that. Gary Trent Jr. is not playing so poorly because it could potentially help the Raptors' future chances <laughs> of getting a pick that eventually replaces Gary. Pascal Siakam, who wants a max this offseason or right now in an extension, is not playing less than 100% because of the team situation. Um, you know, Scotty wants to make his first all-star team. Malachi is playing for, like, a spot in the league. Um, it's oh, not, he's got one as long as Darko's the coach. It's not, <laughs> it's not that. And, like, you look at this starting lineup, like, I don't know, man. Like, like Dennis is... 30 like mm-hmm. he should not like no 30 year old i don't think if it were garrett temple getting those minutes and it was a situation where it was clear like hey yeah we're not trying to win we just need you to soak up some minutes organize the offense things like yeah. that but then Schroeder's 30 and just signed a contract with this team that's not the intention mm-hmm. of the okay. front office like mm-hmm. even if you want it to be that's not what they've been doing like they have they don't have their own first round pick this year unless it yeah. falls top six they don't have a very young roster as far as rebuilding teams go if they're not trying to win they're doing a poor job of it they're doing as poor a job of that as they are of trying to win yeah they don't got good enough win out players or enough of them and they don't have enough players outside of scotty that you're excited about about developing so like what are you actually doing on a night-to-night basis at the moment <laughs> am i wrong no, you're not wrong at all. This is why it's okay. so funny to me because it is—it's—it's it's almost absurd. This is why people are really frustrated. And, like, and, at least do one or the other. And it's also like if they were in this spot and you were frustrated with it, but they were trying a bunch of new things to see what works around Scotty or or to expand what a Scotty Pascal offensive duo can look like. Like we saw that a little bit in um, what game was it? The next game where Scotty and Pascal both went off. There yeah, was a game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe it was Wednesday night. They both they both yeah. had really good offensive games. Yeah. Um, it's what they turned to when they got down fifty points to Charlotte in the first meeting. Was mm-hmm. just like Scotty, we need you to we need you to cook, and, and we're going to optimize around that. If they were doing that stuff, you could understand it. If Pascal and OG were on longer term deals, and you were like, "Look, this sucks right now, but we know this group is going to be together, so we got to work through it. We got to try different. We we got to make this work." You would at least understand it. But the level of uncertainty around things adds an extra layer to that, and it's why. At least until February 9th, this is going to be like a little bit uncomfortable when they play like this because the answer is actually probably that if you ask different people on that roster, they think different things are the goals. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And okay. well, it's okay. Keegan Murray's been tanking his trade value. So I think <laughs> that's, good, that's we're all good. Masai, make the call today. Uh, this man single handedly handed out the McDonald's prize, man. Oh, my God. By man. himself. I was going to look up how many games this year he's uh, out. Keegan Murray by himself outscored like the Raptors' entire three point. Because how many times have the Raptors hit 12? Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I can look that up at a break. Yeah, that's I a can't challenge. look it up as I'm yeah, speaking. Yeah, that's a, that's a challenge. Um, I got one more from the weekend uh, stat wise. Yeah. Okay. So again, this could be a one big number thing on its own. The And look, this flows from the conversation we've had where the starting lineup in over 300 minutes now is still getting beat on the season. Um, the Raptors have fallen behind 
by double digits in 18 of their 25 games. That is 72% of their games. Mm. Is this your raising the rent? Uh, yes. That? Yes. Uh, they have done that 13 <laughs> times in the first half. Mm, now, look, mm. they've come back and win some of those. They're four and nine in those games. The league average winning percentage is about 25%. So they've actually been better than average at coming back in those. But right. congrats they, on coming back and beating yeah. the Wizards. No yeah. good team except for the Lakers has dug themselves more first half holes like that than the Raptors. Like mm-hmm. everyone below them is it's like the offense last year where it's like, oh, yeah, the only teams below them are trying to lose. Right now, the only teams getting in bigger holes than the Raptors early in games are the really, really bad teams. And then yeah. for some reason, the Lakers, because LeBron might actually be a, I asked my landlord to raise the rent <laughs> guy. He might just do that. Not after he got his extra 500K. And then overall, <laughs> they've been down 10 plus in 18 games, which is the sixth most in the league. Mm-hmm. And they only have the 18th yeah. best record. It's not like they're There's... doing a good job winning those games. And again, when we expanded out to just being down 10 in entire games, no good team has been behind Double digits more than the Raptors. But, but it's, it's really, really tough. They're 4-14 four and 14 in those 18 games when they get down double digits, and almost all of those are early holes. Yeah, but... you got to try something different when this happens. Yeah, you? but, like, but here's, the, different here's starting the thing. Five, like, we keep categorizing... Yeah, we keep... in the rotation. We keep saying that, like, Same. oh, aside from the really, really bad teams, like, the Raptors are a really, really bad team. But they, that's, what I'm, they that's what I'm trying to highlight. Yeah, is like there are, there are eight teams... There yeah. are seven teams that are, like... Clearly bad and don't care about what I guess Memphis is in there too, but like, mm-hmm. who yeah, knows? it's a special injury exception. And then there's Toronto and Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then there's all the teams that are like actually decent. And I know yeah. Atlanta record wise is in with Toronto and Chicago, but like all their underlying stuff says they've they been, look they've like been a, a little unlucky. Like and they're, they're like hanging yeah. in with Toronto's record, even though they've had a ton of injuries and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, yeah it's just, it's not, you're right, Alex. It's like, the way it's tiered should probably not be 20 teams, two teams, and then eight teams. Yeah. It should probably be 20 teams and 10 teams. I feel like we we giving the Raptors too much of the benefit of the doubt. Like, just because you're trying to win, I don't care. Like, you're not winning. Like, you're, you're a terrible team right now. Like, there's no other way around it. The stats say that. All the stats that you just told us. But wouldn't you want to see... A coach try new things. Of course. In, in this scenario where it's like, okay, yeah. it's not really working. Um, yeah. Try new things. Remember Darko said, you know, maybe with the starting lineup, well, I want to give it one or two more games. Yeah. I wonder what starting lineup we'll see tonight. But my, my big defense. probably be the same. It's not, even a, it's not even defending Darko in that, but I've always just gone back to, there's no options. There's you, no options? No, there's not a lot of options to bring into the starting this, this lineup. This is the thing. is like the presumed move when we talked about these things in the preseason, mm-hmm. would be Gary. Gary Trent comes in, right, right. for Dennis Schroeder. And right. we were all a little surprised that that wasn't a look that they went to in the preseason. And, and when we heard that they haven't even played together that way in the preseason. Yep. But, like, are you going to make that case when, yes, the starters have been bad, but over the last six games, Gary's shooting 31% and averaging seven points. I hear that. I hear that. There's, there's no options. Here's the thing. Your choices are losing or maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. not losing. And, so. and again, I would I would like to try it because... <laughs> At least, like, on paper, it makes more sense. Like, you probably need a little bit more shooting in that starting group. Yeah. but And I you've mean, still played almost no minutes where that trio of Pascal, Scotty, and OG have spacing around them. They've played almost all their minutes with yeah. space-limiting guys at the other two positions. So you would at least like to see what that looks like, even mm-hmm. if it's not, you know, if it's even if they're if, get data. Yeah, there's, there's not a and, lot in the lab. And I made this complaint, I think, <laughs> last week no on the show and in an article of just yeah. like the most frustrating part of the season for me. Like, yeah, it's the losing, but it's also that like we haven't learned anything. They yeah. there hasn't been enough effort to. And again, this goes back to the conflicting, you know, goals. I think, but there hasn't been enough. In the lab, like we, we're just not, we're not finding out what works around Sky. We're finding out what definitely doesn't work, which is like what you would assume doesn't work on paper because teams could put five guys in the paint against you. Like, 
okay, <laughs> shocker that yeah. that's what we found out. So, yeah, even if the starting lineup downgrades the actual quality of player, let's get some sample on what it looks like. Let, let's try that out. Whether it's Gary for Dennis, Precious for Jakob, throw two spacers in there and, you know, see, hey, Scotty, you're going you're gonna to run a little bit more action as yeah. the ball screener tonight instead of as the handler in the pick and roll. Just try different stuff. Scotty's also, like, not getting a lot of reps as a pick and roll ball handler mm-hmm. unless it's those bench units where, like, it's like, oh, you're playing with Blake, Will, and Alex today. Like, try, try <laughs> to cook. Well, we we have tried something different. We we have tried telling Malachi to smile. Oh yeah. So over the uh, over the weekend, um, Darko was asked about you know any conversations with Malachi that stood out to him this year. And Darko said, "Quote: uh, First time I saw Malachi, he looked a little bit down. He didn't have a lot of energy. So I told him, listen, you're a very good-looking young man when you're smiling. When you're not smiling, you're a very ugly man.'" So our first goal is to change that face for you to get a smile on your face for you to enjoy basketball. So Malachi's 26. Darko said Flynn could be one hit away his whole career. <laughs> Long as I'm alive, he's a millionaire. <laughs> Look, this, I, this is toxic okay. positivity. He's 25 to be clear. Actually, my bad. Yeah. He's 26 at your end. Um, what am I going to say about this? I think there probably is a bit of awkwardness with Darko just... Based on like a cultural gap sometimes. Sure. Like sure. I'm not trying to dismiss that. Like I've definitely said some awkward things, you know, just in a similar scenario. Uh, obviously, he's, it's not new to the country. He's been in America for like 20 years, I think. Mm. You know? But whatever. There's a bit of awkwardness Yeah. In, in terms of just how he moves. If you want to say that that's just his personality or that's culture or whatever. Um, I guess my bigger thing is just like, there. it's just so much relentless positivity. After the game... You know, there's moments where he'll come in and be like, hey, guys, where's the party? And then get everyone <laughs> excited. He's done that twice, I think, after. Because we see all those post-game moments yeah. thanks to Open Gym. We see those moments, the the, the handing out the chain, even when they're down. Mm. You know, like we thought, okay, is it going to be awkward after they are 9 and 14 and they beat the Hawks? Do they get the chain? They do get the chain. Mm. Okay. They go, uh, you know, it, it's, it's always about positivity. And, and I'm not saying that, like, it has to be positive or negativity, but, like, at a certain point, it's just like you know, win three games. You got to get up. You got to you got a free dinner. This it's is like, like we, we identified this adults, really man. early Malachi's in the season. 25. Yeah, before we even knew what Darko was as a coach, you know, this was something we all kicked around in the preseason when it was like vibes, vibes, vibes because they're winning. It's like how does that look when you're losing? You're and, forcing the vibes. Yeah, and it's also like the front office has built a we're trying to win right now roster and continue to make those moves okay, like yeah. with the, with trading a first for Jakob Pertl, trading a first for Thad Young, signing Dennis Schroeder with the mid-level instead of, you know, someone who's maybe worse but has more upside um, because De- Dennis is 30 and stuff. They're the 17th youngest team in the league. <laughs> <laughs> and Otto Porter's 30. He's only they, 30. They have done... He tried smiling. They have done we're trying to make the play-in and make this, the yeah. first round of the playoffs moves while hiring a coach that at least in terms of talking points, very much feels like a developmental coach, which is not a dig at him. Like, if this team does turn the page and decide... assistant coach. Yeah, like, I, I'm not going to go that far, but, like, I mean, it's only 25 will. games, so so let's see. And, and the, the roster pieces obviously don't fit that super well. But there's, like, again, it, it seems to be, like, a, a disconnect in the, the messaging here or what they're saying they want to do and what, what it looks like in actuality. Yeah, and specifically to Malachi, too. Like, clearly... I think there was a mandate for, you know, Darko and the new coaching staff to to really prop up Malachi this season, give him opportunities and stuff. And that speaks to the bigger picture, too. It's like, why is this a priority? 
like Malachi's a free agent at the end of the like season. You're gonna hang a banner that like, hey, we turn Malachi from like he's gonna be a Shane Larkin, a top Eurobasket guy, right. to hey, he's gonna stick in the league as a backup point guard. Is this the ego of the front office? Like that, that's a win still. It, it oh, actually yeah. is I a good enjoy the storyline, but, but, but it's also of, not should be one of your huge priorities. Yeah, exactly. Also, what has Malachi done this season besides have some games where oh, he, he does look like a competent, where he looks like a competent NBA player? Yeah, like that, he's it, yeah. not he's not something where I'm like, oh, this is a great development story. I'm blown away right now. And here's the other thing is like if if that is the mandate and it's like let's give these guys chances let's you know get more going there like the fact again that you you doubled down with Pirtle and Schroeder on older guys um and you know that that don't necessarily fit now but so that to me says you prioritize the best player not the the mm -hmm. developmental upside you're also you know you use three roster spots on older guys mm. that, you know, there is certainly value in that. And I think a complete absence of veterans is really risky when you're in a rebuilding environment, but you probably could have given one of those spots to someone that, you know, you actually thought might turn into a, a rotation player for you down the line. And actually, then like, by the way, I'm actually, sorry to interrupt. I, I'm happy they explained it in a recent open gym interview where Thad was like, I'm the consultant for the bigs on the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Otto is the consultant for the forwards and the wings. Mm -hmm. And then, Garrett is the consultant for the guards. That's why they have three vets. We got sure. three consigliaries. <laughs> you also have unlimited assistant coach spots. <laughs> I, I'm not. Again, I like those guys. And I, I think those guys. I think I get an what you absence mean. of those yeah, guys is a problem. But three of them, especially when only one guy in your starting lineup is young. Yeah. Like at some point, yeah. you know, you hope that Pascal and Jakob and those guys are, are absorbing some of that leadership stuff. And they're not. You know, yeah, they're giving opportunities to Malachi, and it's worked. He's been better. Gary's minutes are way down because he's been bad, but yeah. he's younger than Malachi is. Have we ever prioritized um, Gary ever? Like, Grady has kind of dug his own spot here, but like, Jalen McDaniels hasn't got a shot in a while now. And that's the guy they made signed. a shot. Yeah. It's, Man, it's when he true, came into the game at the end of the Hawks game and missed three straight wide open, I was like, ugh. Yeah. Um, they haven't, like, none of the two way guys have played, and that's mostly mm -hmm. health related, but like, there doesn't seem to be, if. If the idea is giving young guys more opportunities yeah. and stuff like that, it really is just like Malachi is the guy you can identify that suits that. Even Scotty, like the usage is up, the role is up, but they're still not like letting him cook. It's, you know, a lot of it is like, hey, the first bit of the game, we're going to be structured through the offense, not we're focused on getting Scotty pick and roll reps. We're focused on, hey, Scotty, you got a mismatch tonight. Let's attack it. I don't know. There's just like it, any explanation you can come up with for why things are the way they are, it, it like, falls apart when you look at other things that are going on. There's just not a consistency there. Yeah, it, this stuff is, is is really, you could celebrate it as cute and it's fun when it works out. Mm. You know, like in Ted Lasso when the, the team can get promoted kind of yeah. thing. Guess but, what show really fell off after the shine of the first season though? Yeah, but when it doesn't <laughs> really work and when you're 10 and 15, it just sounds silly. Like it really does sound silly. Like I, under, I appreciate that these are good sentiments. I'm not saying that he should be like downer or negative like they shouldn't play the Raptors show, you know what I mean? But like, like at a certain point, it's it's like, all right, man. Like these are also grown adults. Like, do we have tactical adjustments? Do we have right. like actual lineup changes? Do we have like, you know, just a different way to reach the players other than just saying, hey, here's a party? Mm -hmm. Really? No, I get it. It's a party, man. Oh. No, we got we got Savannah How Hamilton joining us in the studio in the second segment, so you guys can continue this conversation. Okay, we're gonna take this break. Been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sports Night Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And we are joined for the first time ever in studio by Savannah Hamilton. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, it is. And I invited myself and I'll continue to do that now, Will. Yeah, it was definitely just, very convenient for you to come to. Just drop by. <laughs> just any time. Like, oh, we weren't expecting Sav on the show today, but here we are. Yeah. No, how, how do you like the new studios? You, you enjoying this? Yeah, I do. I love it. I love what you do with the place. Yeah. <laughs> It is, uh, well, we did not decorate this, except for the Scotty Barnes jersey behind you. Oh, but... we remembered to change the jersey today. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of time is just some random hockey jersey from okay. the shows before us. There, there has been some yes. random things hung up. All right, um, what are we going to talk about? So, uh, we, you know, we, we talked a lot about the Raptors struggling. One thing from the first segment that I want to get your uh, thoughts on, Savannah, is just this team getting off to bad starts consistently. And, you know, um, what is this team doing to address that? Because it just feels like so often the Raptors have to climb out of a hole. In fact, I can't remember the last time they really had to protect a big lead. I, I had the stat earlier in the show that more yep. than half of their games this year, they have been down double digits in the first half. Mm-hmm. More than half their games. Yeah. That's crazy. So, Sam, how, how, what are they doing to address this? Please tell me Darko and the team is working to address this. I mean, I feel like it's an act of solution that they're working on you know you can't not work on it so glaringly obvious and it's something that I actually talked to coach from one of our road trips I remember telling him I I think I believe I said to him I was like this must feel like a broken record now Mm -hmm. um how do you fix these bad starts you know what do you do and you know we but we all know we sit here we we go to the press conferences Mm -hmm. he's keeping his starters so far that we said he said a game or two more that he wants to play um with that and so I think this is actually the two the game of the game two, two more. So we'll see okay. what happens from here. But, uh, you know, I think, I mean, let's, let's call it for what it is. You can't do the same thing. You know, what's yeah. the definition of insanity, right? Um, and I, but I do think that they're, they're trying and they, they have that thing where they dig out of the hole that they create for themselves coming out the gate. Um, but is a solution right there? And like, can I, can I give an opinion or a, a solution to the coach directly? Like, um, no, but, I think it's pretty glaring that, you know, if it's bad starts, then maybe it's time to consider a lineup change, and that's been proposed, so it's not anything new. Yeah, I feel like the reporting core is, like, once per press conference, kind of, like, in a roundabout way asking, you know, would you consider changing the starting lineup? Will, you know, when will you change the starting lineup? Who would you change the starting lineup for potentially? Tonight I might just ask, like, who's in the starting lineup I- instead tonight? Like, I'll just assume the answer yeah. is yes because we're just, like, nudging up against it like that. And, but, yeah, I mean, there, there seems to be that resistance. Why do you think there is that resistance, Blake? I, I think a big part of it is, like, there's not an obvious move to make. And, like, again, we've talked about a lot this year. On paper, the Gary Trent-Dennis Schroeder swap makes sense. Dennis can help stabilize some of the bench offense you know, be a kind of co-handler with Malachi, let Malachi's off-ball shooting, you know, do a little bit of the work and just kind of organize those units that really they've put a ton on Scotty's shoulders to run those groups. And maybe Dennis could do uh, a little bit more. But Gary has been up and down and certainly more down than up. So I wonder if there's a hesitation to, you know, reward a guy who has been playing poorly, shooting, I think, just 31% over his last six games. You know, there it's also... You know, that brief glimpse we got of Gary as a better defender two years back is gone. It never stuck around. Um, so it might be hard to elevate someone like that. I think on the yak side of it, it's just, it just gave him a four-year $78 million deal. I think that's why they're hesitant to, to make that change. And, you know, maybe a little bit of you don't want the wear and tear of Scotty playing too many minutes at, at center and just the way your rotation works and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think it's, you know, that combination of 
there's not like nobody on the bench has really like made a great case to join the starting lineup. So you're making that move for, and again, I still think they should do it because it's, it's worth trying something new and on paper, it makes sense, mm-hmm. but they are making that move based on, you know, fear, a theoretical change helping rather than, Hey, someone's performance has dictated that this change makes sense. I think that can be tough for a coach. Yeah. Well, it's theoretical, but it's also Gary has done well as a starter in the past. He, he I mean, every player in sport. basketball will play better as a starter than as a reserve, okay. except for maybe like a high usage, get my bucket, like Jamal Crawford, Jordan Clarkson type, because you're playing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you're playing with better players. Yeah. I, I agree with that. But also at the same time, I have the evidence of what Gary looks like as a starter with yeah. this particular group. And I think that's where, even if it's like, okay, yes, it's, it's a general idea. I would like to generally get the idea of shooting into the starting lineup as much as possible, if, if at all possible. And but Darko's explanation yeah. hasn't been what I just said. Darko's explanation has basically been... He wants and this, to bring the ball up. Exactly. So Gary was in that starting lineup that also had Fred. So, you know, maybe this is a case where he'd be more open to making that move if it was Jakob coming out or Jakob missed the game hurt I mean, or something I, like I'm, that. I'm okay with trying that at least for a couple of games too. Like, it, it does leave you really small, and I know the Raptors just got bodied on the glass by Clint Capella. By but, one of the smallest teams in basketball. Uh, yeah, well, they, they they started big. I'll give them that credit. They started Capella and O'Connor. They started Wolf. two power forwards who are centers. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a tough one because, ah, you know, God, this team. you're right. There's, like, in a, there's been a lot of ups and downs for every single player on this team, um, and so it's hard to determine, like, who is going to take a starting spot, you know, and just give them that immediately because, for me personally, I come from the school of it's earned, um, and it's not to say that the Scarters haven't earned a spot, but you, when you're clearly having rough starts, you have to look at the drawing board and be like, okay, well, this is not working, so what can work? And then it goes to chemistry. And as you pointed out, Will, mm-hmm. Gary, you know, in the past, he's had great starts. Um, and so you, that's where the change you could, is heavily considered there. Um, and, and also, you know, if you want to empower Scotty to be a leader of a team, you know, it's not a bad look to have him bring up the ball, to have him facilitate in that point guard role because he is that point guard and forward position that can do a little bit of both, and we're seeing that hit within the second unit, but I would like to see that as well in the first unit. Mm. Um, another area that I want to ask you about, because, Sam, you and I talk a lot, you know, in the booth about this this subject, but how can the Raptors get OG more involved? Because I, I think, you know, when we think about um, guys who – can hit threes consistently. Um, OG is obviously one of the two, maybe three guys on the team that that can do that. Um, and I, I at least I got that sense from Darko that it felt like OG might have a maybe increased presence or even something where he's more featured or more involved. He might not have to shoot more, but he might touch the ball more. But across the board, it seems like OG kind of has the exact same roles he did the last couple of years. He's he's shooting one less shot per game, but I think a lot of that's down to the fact that he's playing like three or four minutes less per game than last year. Even in the minutes he plays, though, his usage rate is the lowest it's been since 2019, 2020. And okay. that accounts for how many minutes you're playing. So. That That's a real concern. In fact, the touches, you know, to, to that to that theme, they've gone down from 47 a game to 43 a game. Is there a way for Darko to feature him more? Should they do that? Absolutely. I think that OG has taken a step offensively this year. Um, whether that's really acknowledged or not, I think we all talk about Scotty and how much he's grown. Uh, if you see, if you really take a look at what OG's doing on the court it, within those minutes, okay. he's getting more creative. He looks actually more under control with the ball than he has in the past. Mm. Um, and and his three point shots consistent. His three point shots like like the best on the team right now. Correct? Yeah, thirty nine percent. Yeah, so like that's a that's a legit percentage to shoot from three. So he stretches out the court there. Um, so the answer is simple. It's a yes. The numbers to stay for themselves. 
as well as the fact that, you know, because he's playing more under control, now he could have him more as a rim threat as well. And so I think he's would be best in actions. We've seen him a little bit in a pick and roll, I believe. But, like, just utilizing him maybe there a little bit more. But then I could also see him off-ball cutting from the wing, um, finding him, you know, on backside. So stretching out help defenses. So maybe he's the guy that they're closing out to. Maybe he's not first action, but he's second action. Um, skip passes. And that's kind of where he's already finding his three-point shots right now. Mm, but, okay. like, let's just go there a little bit more. Let's be intentional about going there a little bit more. And I feel like that's an organic way to get him involved without forcing it. Because, what, you're going to say, put the ball in his hand more? Like, not yeah, when you not have kind of not when yeah. you have players like Scotty and Dennis and you know Pascal playing alongside you. I think it's more like the secondary actions and getting to that. Well, when you looked at those uh, front court touch numbers that you referenced, when you look at those and kind of sort them by who is the highest usage guy, and look, it's always going to skew a little toward the point guard because that's just how you run your offense. But what do you take away from that? Like the fact that you know if we're trying to evaluate who is the most important player of this team or. or you know, who they are trying to funnel offense to, it's yes, Scotty has the big jump there, but, you know, and maybe this relates to our, our starting lineup conversation and how, you know, a different alignment might spread things around a little bit more. But then it's like a pretty clear number two, and then there's a, a drop-off to everyone else, I believe. Yeah, uh, in terms of touches per game for the Raptors, and whatever, this is not like the be-all and end-all stat. I just kind of like it because it is like a camera tracking who has the ball how many mm-hmm. times. that And... and what they're supposedly doing with that and, and what their roles are can obviously change and adjust. But, yeah, leading the team is the point guard, Dennis Schroeder, at 80 per game. Um, Scotty is right behind him at 75. Pascal is at 62. Jakob's at 48. OG is at 44. And then Malachi is at 37. And it goes down from there. I, You know, oddly enough, the one that stands out to me is Jakob having the ball 48 times a game. Now, I, I know a lot of that is, like, the Raptors like to run a lot of their action through the high posts and they like to get their guards off ball screening for each other. But like 48 times a game for Jakob Pertl, how many times when you give the ball to Jakob, how many times is he actually looking to score with that? Maybe 10 of those? Yeah, I think that's where the problem could lie potentially. And like, cause he's a, he's kind of a pass first type of player actually, no, for sure. which is yeah. his biggest benefit on this yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. This is why he's great at what he does. He's a bit more of a facilitating big, okay. um, but you know, I always say in, in basketball, this is, kind of fundamental yeah always be a threat yes you should always be a threat to the rim the moment you uh catch the ball Mm -hmm. what do you look to do you look to the rim to see if you could score right Mm -hmm. away if you can't then it's a pass or you could dribble or whatever in this case a lot of handoffs yeah Um, a lot of (laughs) and so that's where the problem lies but i'm not personally maybe this is coming from somebody who played the center and forward position Mm -hmm. in the past i'm not mad that he's getting all those touches (laughs) yeah it is funny because um i think darko said it he was like you know we're gonna get you know, Jakob the ball in the post a lot more. This is something that mm-hmm. we can have anticipated coming into the season. Uh, and whatever, assist is not the only way to evaluate ball movement, but, it, you know, I mean, it's not a bad way to evaluate ball movement. Uh, last year when Jakob came to Toronto, he averaged 2.2 assists. Right now for the Raptors, he's averaging 2.2 assists. So we've changed the system. We've given the ball more, but the output is similar. And I think probably what the numbers are, because their assist numbers as a team are up overall. Their passing Mm. numbers are up significantly. I'm not saying that's necessarily a good, like passing for the sake of passing and not creating advantage doesn't do anything. But what maybe is happening there is, you know, or or ideally what would be happening, the ideal explanation for them would be, while all of those DHOs are putting guys in positions to be one more pass away Mm -hmm. from the bucket. Like you don't track the secondary assist or or things like that. Um, But yeah, I was going to say that. You don't track hockey assists in yeah. this game, and I wish they did because sometimes 
it's not the matter of like, oh, that was a direct pass to the rim. Mm. Sometimes it's a pass to the wing, and that was a pass to the rim. Yeah. So, And that's what the point five thing is supposed to be about. Yeah. Create a small advantage, turn it into a little bit bigger an advantage, then a little bit bigger an advantage. So maybe something's just not capturing that. Yeah. But I look at those numbers, and even with Yak like almost leading the league in field goal percentage, it does feel like there's not those touches have not been productive enough as a part of the larger yeah. offensive system. Now, okay, touch is only one way to look yeah. at it because it's also time of possession. So time of possessions-wise, he doesn't have the ball very long. Because no. typically, yeah, he gets it and he flips it around. Yep. So that's why I don't necessarily mind him touching the ball that much. He's only at 1.1 uh, minutes per game with the ball in his hands. That's where when you look at it, it's like, okay, Dennis has the ball in his hands 6.1 minutes per game. The next closest is Scotty at 3.5 and then Pascal 2.7. So that's where, okay, if you're So Dennis has the ball as much as Pascal plus Scotty. Is what those numbers say. Yes, essentially. Yeah. Now, of course, a lot of that is him bringing the ball up past half court. That's fine. Uh, uh, Walking the ball up without the clock starting. <laughs> I do wonder if that counts as possession. Uh, technically, it doesn't because the clock doesn't start. For but, me, the thing that's, sorry yeah. to cut you off, like the thing that's not registering or is registering for me is more so the fact of what are you doing when you have the ball in your hands? Yeah, I don't I really care yeah. how long you have it as long as you're facilitating and you're intentional what you're doing with it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, he is a point guard. He's a true point guard. And so if that means that he's you know, coming off of dribble handoffs and he's kind of, you know, doing his thing there. Or yeah. he's coming, bring, like, as you mentioned, bringing up the ball and stuff, making reads. Like, mm -hmm. maybe there's times where he has to literally just grab the ball and settle that everybody down. Like, okay, we got we to gotta take our time because we've seen actions that are rushed and it feels like, what was that, yeah. you know? And so I'm not necessarily mad at the length of time that he has the ball. It's more so what are you doing with the ball? Right, a difference between, you know, taking eight, nine, ten dribbles and a couple seconds off the clock mm -hmm. and isoing into a long two versus doing that because you, you know, came off a pick and roll, gnashed it out the other side and looks exactly. for a mismatch on the second side of the floor when you came back Maybe out. Maybe you got the ball twice in one possession, but it was like yeah. dribble pass, pass, you know, like it, it depends. Yeah, no one's getting mad at Steph for, you know, heavy touch exactly. time numbers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ironically, Dennis has the ball more than Steph. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, just, 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 just. Do you I'm have the league the leaderboards up okay. there? I do have the league leaderboards. How, how high is he to the league lead? So it's not that okay. It, it's in line with whoever I suppose is the main playmaker on each team. Okay, so he's so like top thirty then. Luke, yeah, he's top thirty. So Lucas at eight point five, Trey Young's at eight point three, Jalen Brunson at seven point eight, Lamelo Ball seven point four, Tyrese Halliburton seven point four, Devin Booker seven point three, Dame seven point two. Shea seven point one, Terry Rozier, who we'll see tonight, <laughs> seven point zero. He probably have it more than seven point zero tonight. Maxie's at seven. Fred's at six point nine. Garland six point eight. Kate Cunningham six point seven. Anthony Simon six point six. Darren Fox six point five. And then Dennis Schroeder is tied with Donovan Mitchell at six point one, above James Harden, above uh, Jamal Murray five point eight. Steph Curry five point six. Now, of course, this is a function of how you run your offense, too, and also yeah. what the other options are on the floor. But at the same time, when you're looking to redistribute, like, you could take some from there. I think you could take some from Jakob. Not taking the ball away from him because he's not a ball hog or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, I don't feel like it's that productive to give him the ball that much. But, yeah, in, in different ways to look for more efficiencies in offense, I think you could do that. I think the bigger thing, too, is just how do they defend because this has nothing to do with why, why they're not defending. We have Seth, two minutes on that. I, yeah. One side of the court, guys. That's so, only one side. I know. Yeah, I, I, know. I also, yeah. I wonder, I wanted to ask your take, Sav, on, mm -hmm. you know, in addition to all the defensive numbers just generally dropping off, their transition defense over the last couple of weeks has fallen to 28th in basketball. Um, when you look at a team that struggles in transition defense, how much of that is an effort thing? How much of that is a fundamentals thing? Because um, it strikes me as like, it's not a, like, there's not a lot of tactics in your transition defense. It's get back and pick someone up. 
Yeah. Well, honestly, it depends. If it's a scramble situation, then it is exactly that. Pick up, the, like, what's the nearest threat? The threat is always the rim. So you run to the player who's closest to the rim, and then the next threat's the ball. So you second secondary person picks up whoever has the ball in their hand. So that's why if it's a scramble situation, it might be Dennis on Sabonis someday. Who knows? <laughs> but it's going to, you just have to get back and play physical so that at least you can bump them to, to buy time for your teammates and the correct matchup to then release you and so you can go to your correct matchup, right? So that's how that works. So scramble situations, transition defense, obviously in an ideal scenario, you'd want like, you know, the big man covering the big man. But what if your big man was trying to get the rebound and Dennis was a releaser outlet mm -hmm. and now he has to go back? So obviously that's not ideal, but it is what it is. And that's where you have to go get physical. Um, but, you know, an ideal world, it would be everybody gets back in transition really fast because I think that's where we're seeing lapses is that not everybody's getting back on defense right away. Sometimes it's looking at the ref because they didn't get the call that they wanted. Um, sometimes it's just just a step slow, honestly. And this is a fast-moving game. And you have to make sure that if offense doesn't work, it doesn't impact the fact that there's a whole other side of the game to this, mm -hmm. and that's defense. And so yeah. you got to get back as fast as you can. Well, we will see tonight if the Raptors have fixed their bad offense or their bad defense um, <laughs> as they play the Charlotte. As they play a very bad team. Hornets. Uh, they better win tonight. They better win tonight. Savannah Hamilton, I appreciate you. I will see you down at the arena. Uh, but we are going to take a quick break. In the meantime, I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. I am joined now by my co-host, Blake Murphy, Alex Wong. Big thanks to Savannah Hamilton for joining us in segment two. Uh, is there any other dirt that we want to kick on this team is, is that's what i feel like the whole theme of <laughs> we just we just be coming in and just giving the raptors a spank <laughs> i don't know man you you can't go outside and roll around in dirt and then get mad that someone threw dirt on you you know mm -hmm. I, like that. I like Damn. that i'll try i'll try to find the team who did this this, this mm. is why darko is like only positivity because their uh, names are on social <laughs> on the media it's just uh it's just what it is guys <laughs> so what's going on alex Take yeah how was your how was your event yesterday yeah, shouts to everybody who showed up to the Cha Time in downtown Markham yesterday. Just the same uh, Asian dude twenty five times. You know how you know how like bands when they tour will release a T shirt with all the stops that they made. Yeah. I need you to release like a limited run Alex Wong prehistoric book tour and just like have all the events you did listed on the back. Yeah, but all jokes aside, really, thank you for everybody for for coming out. And I know. Um, Clement, Johnson, Tiffany from CCYA uh, showed up. Carl as well. Kai, my nephew, my mom. My, my mom had to drop me off because I didn't have a ride yesterday. So, <laughs> Where'd she pick you up from? And my sister, don't worry about it. And my sister uh, dropped me back off at the subway. 
looking for a new car at the moment. This guy using the payphone at the mall to get his parents to come pick him up after the movie. My my guy getting picked up at Shepard Young. Not not having a car is really the raising rent uh, situation. Forgot to shout out um, Dylan Brown and his wife, uh, Mary Brown. That's right. Who were at the Raptors game on uh, Friday. So... Trying to get Mary Brown a, a Mary Brown sweater, so. Wait, Mary Brown's making sweaters? Yeah, yeah, they were doing oh, wow. a giveaway okay. earlier this week, so yeah. we we're just figuring that out. And um, yeah, so around the NBA now. Oh, um, wait. yeah, what's up? I got a Mary Brown. It's just like people oh, don't sorry. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I feel like I always want to let people know yes. that Mary Brown's was originally a, a Newfoundland. Yes. Brand and, and chain. Didn't the first that. one was at the Avalon Mall in St. John's, which what? any Newfoundland person uh, knows the Avalon Mall now, what, in St. John's. What's the vibe like in the Avalon Mall? Yeah. It's like, it's so any, like, it's it's actually pretty similar to like, so the Cambridge Center in Cambridge where I'm from used to be John Galt Mall. It's just like a, a decent mall in a smaller town feel, even though it's the largest city in the uh, yeah. in the province, mm. obviously. We're going to call him Avalon Barksdale. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> That's hard. Um, yeah. Uh, going around the NBA here, just a quick uh, rest in peace to former Raptors center Eric Montross. News came out today. He passed away yesterday at the age of 52. I know for longtime Raptors fans, they'll remember Eric Montross from like the late 90s, early 2000s. Early some people, 2000s, yeah. yeah. Year some and people, a half, year 2000 to 2002. Some people might remind him, uh, remember him from his college career as well. So just wanted to pass that note along. Uh, do you know, I guess this is, yeah, never mind. I was just going to do the trade of how he came to Toronto. And then Did he come I, from Boston? No, he came from Detroit in the, uh, the JYD trade. Oh, okay. And right. famously wore double zero, I believe. Double zero is a sick number. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. He wore single zero with the Celtics and then double zero everywhere else. Yeah. No, I love the double zero. Was double zero also retired for the Celtics? You know, the Celtics have like way too many numbers retired. Yeah. To the point where the players can only wear like. Hockey numbers at this point. <laughs> yeah, is that why all the guys wear like seventies now? <laughs> yeah, like the champagnes and and type. I think Delano might get away with wearing forty five. I think forty five might still be available for him. Oh yeah, yeah shouts to the Kipling. But anyways, more Raptor stuff. Uh, trade rumors mm. surrounding OG. Great. We're not done. Can we? Done. Can we start a chart? Because I believe by the trade deadline, every team will be linked to OG. Yes. Um, so what's the latest one? Latest one is the Detroit Pistons per James Edwards the third. Wow. Of the There's athletic. More James Edwards. <laughs> they got Detroit. more James Edwards than wins. Than wins in Detroit. <laughs> what's right. going on? Cool. The Pistons are expected to be active in the trade market. Yeah. And two trade targets that were mentioned were Tobias Harris and OG Ananobi. So yeah. Yeah. Detroit. Look, let me start with this. Uh, you're not getting Tobias Harris this year unless it's a scenario where philadelphia is getting og ananobi so uh you can if you're the pistons yeah you keep that cap space i'm sure lots of vets will be very very eager to uh to take your money no i think i think this highlights something though in that look og being 26 still even heading into a summer where he's going to get a very big payday is going to be attractive to a lot of teams because obviously if you're competing now he's a very attractive rental piece um, you have his bird rights into the off season, which allows you, if you are an overcap team, to keep him, even though you don't have cap space. And then, if you're a younger team that has a lot of cap flexibility, like the Pistons, that's the one scenario where you know, yeah, if, if OG's price tag gets up too high to, like, say, thirty-five million, and you're uncomfortable with that. What else are the Pistons doing with that cap space? You can't take yeah. it with you. You can't roll it into the next year. Like, yeah, a multi-year deal kind of hurts your flexibility if it ends up a bad one. But like, 
are, are the Pistons lining up like three big free agent signings with the cap space? I don't think so. So um, Gordon, Charlie V get on down here. There's basically no type of team that wouldn't at least be somewhat interested in OG. No, for sure. OG's just a great fit pretty much everywhere. I mean, I know we can like, I mean, we are joking about Detroit because they are on a historic, almost like actually full on historic. Just hang tight. The Raptors on December 30th. Um, Hang tight, Detroit. I think it hit 23 over the weekend. and, And I think I saw the game that they played over the weekend where they, they were down like 30 in the first quarter. Like they were like, yeah, let's leave no doubt. It's another L for us. Yeah, it was on Saturday. Yeah. It was like like you've got the whole game to pick your wing spot location. <laughs> D- did you not see Giannis hanging out with his kids yeah. on the bench? Uh, by the way, uh, Matty D, Matt Devlin texted yeah. in. Robert Parrish has double zero retired for the Celtics. Ah, mm. shouts to shouts Thank to, you, Matty. Next chat time's on me. Yeah, shouts to, shouts to Matt Devlin. But um yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the thing for for the Pistons. Like pretty much I don't know, 200 players in the league will probably substantially improve their current situation, um, let alone like a really good player like OG. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think this all kind of shapes us to the idea that whatever it is, OG is going to make a max just based on how much interest there is around the league. It's just a question of do the Raptors want to pay that? And also, if not, then what can you get back in a trade? One team that doesn't seem that interested in OG, or at least reportedly, is the Kings. So I don't know if you guys saw this. Yeah, Sam you know? Amick. Sam Amick wrote over the athletic on the topic of the Kings potentially trading for Pascal or OG because they've done while well, they've explored the ideas in the past. Uh, Sam wrote, quote, uh, those two particular prospects appear unlikely at the moment, but we still have a long way to go for the market to evolve. And an OB more specifically does not appear to be of significant interest to the Kings. So we have actually found the one team in the league that is not interested in OG. Or, or they're just saying that. Or they're just saying that. The because, team that's like, we need more three-point shooting and defense. Mm. Doesn't want a guy shooting 39% on threes who is all defense. It, it, is it, this a blatant it, attempt to, to it, negotiate it, the it appears, it appears the Raptors are just once say. again walking into the trade deadline with little to no leverage. Yeah. Well, th- this seems like an attempt to create leverage, <laughs> potentially. Nah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Maybe this is like the Kings just don't want to play pay that Larry Markinen price for OG and an OB. <laughs> Oh, the uh, yeah, because the other report was what Danny yeah. Ainge wants five first rounders, yeah, or five picks. Okay, so five who knows? Maybe, oh. maybe he just wants the yeah, but he's trying to run back the Justice Winslow trade in reverse, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, Kevin O'Connor reporting that uh, people around the league think that yeah, Utah's gonna want like five picks for a big shotgun. <laughs> I love that nickname. <laughs> It's not as good as Folgers Soldier, though. The Folgers Soldiers is great. Um, speaking of which, lots of impressive performances around the NBA this weekend. Want okay. to hear your thoughts. Um, the aforementioned Sacramento Kings, Keegan Murray had 47 points, 12 of 15 from three against Utah, including NBA record 11 threes in a row. Yeah. And they, he did, did he do this in three quarters? No, I mean, no, he, he played the whole game. Okay. He, he missed a couple shots. Like he missed his last two threes, I think. Like they were, they tried to get him to 50 in like a, as much was a reasonable yeah. way, but they didn't really push it like Giannis the other week. Um, even Steph, so Steph Curry got asked about this after his game yep. on Saturday night and like started to jokingly answer and then was like, wait, he hit how many? And cause the question was kind of trying to be like, well, you and Claire are like the only guys to do this. Like, mm, like yeah. what is that? Like, and Steph had to stop and be like, he hit how many 12 of 14 is crazy or 12 of 15, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, why are you asking me, man? Draymond's in counseling. My, <laughs> my best player is Brandon Pajemski. <laughs> Shout out to Brandon Pajemski. Very happy for him. Game. Clinching 
charge taken last night. I don't oh, you saw wow. that one. Wow. Yeah, Portland was threatening to force overtime. Uh, oh, because Warriors down the court. blew another lead. I think Steph missed a key free throw uh, yeah. or something like that, but they raced up the court, and then Pajemski, the rookie, took a charge to clinch the game. Yeah, like you're, a game winner. You're the, last, stand. the last 0.7 seconds of that game took forever because oh. there was a li- a lengthy review on that, and then there was like a long delay again in the final second uh, Ra- uh, of the game. Warriors 2019 vibes. Um, there was a, there was another big Steph thing in that game. Yeah, big Steph. He, the three point streak is over. Mm. He had hit in 268 games in a mm. row. Um, he also has the second longest streak in league history that's at 157. Rid- that's, that's games. ridiculous. Uh, so he. Not only has, like, 268, mm-hmm. the only player who's done even half of that is also Steph Curry. And then there's, like, a big gap before you get into, like, Kyle Korver territory. Yeah. Damn. I was told Steph Curry couldn't shoot. Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> couldn't last night. <laughs> Steph really had a lot of open looks last night, and he just couldn't get on the drop, including, like, back-to-back possessions in the fourth quarter. That's right. He got, a lot, on his, he got, a, lot his, he, he got a lot on his mind, man. He's like, Wiggins is benched. <laughs> well, Wiggins put all right this um, Here's a crazy three-point streak stat for you guys that I looked up today. So, obviously, the Raptors were well-known for a long time about their own three-point streak. Mm. They had what was, at that point, like, by a good margin, league record, 986 consecutive games with a three-pointer made. It ended in 2011. There was no Derek Martin around to to save them that time. So, 986 games as a team. There are 15 teams right now with active streaks longer than that. That's how much the game has changed since 2011. Yeah, I think the Raptors crazy. probably even have a similar streak going they right do. now. Yeah, I mean, the league definitely moved in this three-point shooting direction, but it is kind of like, uh, it is noteworthy to see kind of these kind of stats. I mean, the Keegan Murray one was interesting because obviously when you have a performance like that, the first thing you do is go to YouTube and see like, okay, let me see how these points are dropped. Mm-hmm. And I swear this man had at least nine catch and shoots. And not like, oh, coming off of two screens, yeah. elevator doors, something like, something like mm? really, really like creative. No, it's just like trailer. Just CNS. On the wing. Just a lot of CNS. Like point to wing pass. Like it, yeah. it was just a lot of like catch and shoots. Yeah. And I mean, look, yeah, that offense is, is tied for the best offense in basketball. DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron. Like DeMontis Sabonis is a terrific half-court passer. Mm-hmm. De'Aaron Fox is a really good break, like suck a defense in on transition yeah. and find those trailer threes. I think he might even be out for that game. Was he out in that game? Uh, that would explain the usage jump. Yeah. Um, I don't remember offhand. Uh, yeah, he was out for that yeah. game. You know how in Sacramento they do that kind of like... Keon uh, Ellis getting all the assists. They kind of do that Keegan Murray kind of call and response yeah. thing. They're like, Keegan. Yeah. And then the whole crowd yells Murray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to do that for Malachi Flynn. Oh, <laughs> too, one too Yo, many. Don't no. tell Darko. Darko Just Malachi Flynn. Yeah. Um, the other thing, though, if you're picking Darko, your poison Polo. with Sacramento, and this yeah. is actually probably the craziest part to me about Keegan Murray's yeah. 12 15 game, he was shooting 30% on threes before that game. Yeah, I know. It's, it's yeah. funny. So, because... like, leaving him open for the first five or six, sure. Yeah. Should have well, traded him for him last week. I did see a lot of people be like, oh, my God, Raptors missed their chance. And it's like, guys, I think the Sacramento Kings knew that Keegan Murray could shoot a three. Mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm he just did saying. knock down 41% of them as a rookie. Yeah, that's why he's an attractive trade candidate. Why he was the fourth overall pick. That's Whatever, it. man. Yeah. I want Vizinkov. Um <laughs> Shea Gilgis-Alexander, yep. another game winner. Let me that pull up his hard. IG. You guys talk about this that for now. Hard, game yeah. winner against Denver and that also... That game was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Shea had nine blocks. He was very close no, to getting... Chet had nine blocks. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, Chet had nine blocks. I'm not bad. Um, Shea was obviously just a killer down the stretch, but Jalen Williams is also there contributing. That OKC team is just really t- like tough. They're really resilient. Um, Jokic missed a couple of bunnies and stuff like that. He's been kind of weirdly off with his touch a couple games here or there. Still overall pretty damn good. And, you know, Denver made a bunch of tough shots as well, but it's just a really, really fun game overall. 
But as soon as Denver missed their last opportunity and the game was tied with Shea getting the ball up, no timeout from, you know, uh, Mark Dagno, who you credited as one of the top coach of the year candidates. No timeout. Shea gets to a spot, puts it behind his back, and then mid-range fadeaway. It's, it's the same thing as we saw in the World Cup. And he is like, honestly, out of all players at the end of a game that I want just taking one shot, mm-hmm. I, I want, want Gilgis. I want Gilgis. Is he is he the league? Is he the leader in that for that clutch award? You think right now? Because like yeah, he's probably. he's hit a lot of these he's down the there. stretch, right? Yeah, he's definitely up there. No, but seriously, I would take Shea to, to create a shot. I one just want to know if I should gamble on that. So thanks, guys. Oh well, we can consult <laughs> off air. But okay, thanks. he's uh he's up to almost fifty five percent on mid range shots. Goodness. Yeah. And then his he Goodness. hit he hit us with his hit us with his IG caption after. All right. Said Shay over, Shay under, Shay, you owe me bread because you didn't cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just know who to go to when you need a bucket before the buzzer. Damn. Really? Damn? We're doing that? These <laughs> it's are cool not, when he hits the game winner. These are not bars, man. It's cool when he hits the game winner. These are not bars. Right. Uh, by the way, Shay is currently the number two favorite to win clutch player. Who's of the, year. the favorite? Dame. Oh, okay. And then Halliburton, LeBron. Dame couldn't even Luka. get his teammate a game ball, man. How clutch is he? Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyways, relax. The, the game bucks, ball the thing are, are are back to normal. By the way, they're 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 pretty dominant these days. The game ball thing has become kind of a running joke around the league now because mm-hmm. yeah. um, Jalen Brunson had a fifty point game a 50 against the Phoenix Suns, and he was perfect in the second half. Yeah. From the field, and at the buzzer, Julius Randle made sure. Even though the Knicks were dribbling out the ball, he made made it made sure made an emphasis of grabbing the ball. Like he got it for, from his own teammate. Yeah, he he grabbed it from I can't pronounce this person's name. Who? Ryan. Archie Diakono. Archie Diakono. Archie Did I pronounce Diakono. his name yeah. right? Yeah. Wow. It's yeah. good to know it's cross cultural. So nice. so uh Randall was asked about this after. Uh-huh. And he said, quote, I don't trust Ryan with the game ball. They might look at him and think we can take that. <laughs> I had to make sure I got it and I secured mm-hmm. it. Which uh leads me to the question, which uh player on the Raptors would you trust the most right now to secure the game ball at the buzzer? Dennis. Okay. Which Raptor do you... I think it's one of the vets. I think it's one of the three consiglieries. I think OG. OG is like a a very popular player across the league. Everybody like coming in opposing teams, there's always at least two or three guys like stop for a chat with OG. Yeah. He's just a popular dude. Oh, I was thinking more that like Dennis will... Like, we just did a thing with Dennis last oh, week yeah. about how many fights he gets into and how many guys he, he ticks off over That's the true. course of his career. I, I think he would be the one to just, like, go and, yeah. like, not care about, yeah. you know, manners and just yeah. rip it away. I'm, way, going, I'm, I'm going with Garrett Temple. Of, yeah. of the three, but, Ooh, oh, you took, you took Garrett Temple over Thad, eh? Because <laughs> Temple, Garrett Temple would like break the, out the rule book. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but per section 5.3c this is our ball i'll waive your union dues this month <laughs> if uh if you give me that ball i guess they do have to pay union dues uh all right let's move off speaking what, what of uh this so the the ball thing has continued to get funnier ball. to me because first it was oscar shibway gets one point on a free throw in the in-season tournament final doesn't mm-hmm. count then in that bucks game he gets one point on a free throw and it's the first one that counts mm-hmm. he got his first field goal on the weekend as mm. well. Did he get that ball as well? Mm. And he's probably going to be on assignment with the Indiana Mad Ants at the G League Showcase where they're the one seed. Mm. Would he get the game ball from the G League Showcase as well? Oscar Shibway is going to have like our, like the <laughs> Manute Bull, Muggsy Bogues level of game <laughs> balls. My guy Oscar Shibway got more game balls than the Pistons have wins. 
What's going on, man? Oh, my another, God. Good another impressive. The, the Pistons, yeah. by the way, uh, not favored to win the G League Showcase. Okay. Because I was actually on the Pistons social media uh, page on Twitter. The Pistons should be playing the G League <laughs> Showcase, actually. I, I, I'm obsessed with what this, uh, what the social media manager has to do, yeah. which is basically post four graphics every game yeah. and an Alec Burks layup. Um, so the last, the game you guys referenced that Milwaukee blew them out, 146 to 114. Goodness. I would encourage people to go look at the final score graphic because it's got a photo of Jaden Ivey driving to the basket for a layup smiling, but next to it is 146 to 114. <laughs> You're <to> sweet. <laughs> nothing to smile about in my life. Anyways, December yeah. 30th, Pistons Raptors Yeah, could be for something. Oh, um, another impressive performance, Joel Embiid. Uh-huh. In a 53-point win over the Hornets, had 42 points on 18 of 23 shooting in 30 minutes. Mm. Um, I know we talked about Embiid a little bit last week, but he's having a ridiculous season. Joel yeah, Embiid got is more good. More points than minutes played right now. Yeah, okay, that's why I, I mentioned last week. Of everyone who's ever scored 34 points per game, there's yeah. only 18 other guys who have done it, or 18 other individual seasons. He has the highest true shooting percentage, so the most efficient scoring and the fewest minutes per game. He's yeah. the most efficient. I... 34-point-per-game season we've ever seen. Yeah, Here's how good yeah. he's been scoring to that point. Nick Nurse will actually sit him in fourth quarters because they're in blowouts all the time. Yeah. No, he, this is Nick's not, not, even not Maxi, though. Well, yeah. This Maxi is, leads the league in minutes. So. And B's lowering team. the rank. It's good for his next contract. Well, yeah. I was listening to Pound the Rock yesterday at 2 yeah. in the morning, as I do. What? And, oh, my God. You know, Joe Wolfon, Joseph Kashar were going through their, like, top 10 players of the season. And then Embiid came up. You know, he was top two, number two, and Jokic was first for them. Yeah. And they were debating, like, is Embiid the best? They, I think Wolfon brought up this point. Since and Wilt? Since Wilt. He said that Embiid th- is the best low post scorer I, since I, Wilt Chamberlain. I would have to imagine wow. if we had better access to the tape and analytics and stuff, it's yeah. got to be Shaq. Shaq is the other name that came up, and I thought of Shaq, too. Like, Shaq led the league I know in you don't field know goal Shaq. percentage 10 times. <laughs> the big coax. Is that the TNT guy? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, ten times he led the league in field goal percentage. Yeah, Yeah. so people got to stop sleeping on Shaq. You know, look up Shaquille O'Neal. Like Shaq almost went sixty percent true shooting, thirty percent usage for his entire career, and that includes the like when he was the you know the big Shaqtus in Phoenix and then in Cleveland, whatever his nickname was. You know what's a big factor for Joel going off right now? Mm -hmm. The fact that he doesn't have to play against Nick Nurse defenses anymore. Oh, you're saying that's the, that's the key <laughs> no, factor. I actually do feel like I, that's part of the conceit of why they hired Nick was like, yeah, this is the guy who knows how to stop you. Well, Here's all uh, the ideas of like that's basically you know the Raptors hiring Aslan. I can't kind of win thing. alone. You know what I mean? Like that's just <laughs> yeah. Let's let's bring in the guy who knows how to stop you, so you know how to never be stopped. Yeah, and we'll see if it works in the playoffs or not. Because obviously no one's impressed by this until they do it like, mm-hmm. into the conference finals, which is never really yeah. done. He does have the lowest but. points per game of his career against of any team against Toronto. Yeah. The Raptors, Nick Nurse pulled off wins was like Aaron Baines guarding against him. Yeah. Man, missing Nick. Um, I'm not missing Nick. I'm just saying. Like, but are you not? It's impressive. Though? Regardless, tactically-wise, tactically, mm. tactically, he's this one of Nicky the best. Nurse, baby. He's Nicky Nurse, baby. Tactically, he, you know, he's stamped in this league. Well, speaking of Nick Nurse and, you know, good stories feel good stories this season mm. Dylan, man the transitions are crazy in this segment yeah. um dylan brooks dylan the villain got his revenge in uh memphis yes i believe this was on friday um yeah he had like 24 hit the dagger at the end hit a game dagger three three yeah dagger three yeah 
So, That's I mean. That's what I do. I talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he does. He balls. Yeah. He balls out. I poke bears. Yeah. So, I mean, Dylan also got tossed yesterday at the end of the. Bears. He poked the Grizzlies. <laughs> at the end of the Bucks game. Yeah. Uh, for yelling at the refs. But. <laughs> So Dylan, Dylan's been having a great season. I think we've yeah. spotlighted a little bit yeah. in, in Houston. And Blake, I trust you're the only person who filled this rundown. So I believe this is you. You've got some other cool kind of oh, quote-unquote comeback stories. Oh, this oh, is yeah. you? One, 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 of no! one of them's me. <laughs> uh, let's go. Okay, so you guys put once. in some great comeback, like kind of comeback stories of the yeah. year. So let's hear them. Okay, so Dylan Brooks is obviously just him being good again, him being vindicated. Mm. This is continuation of obviously what he did for Team Canada in the summertime, but... Dylan, last year, finished the year below 40% on field goal percentage. He's now up to 47. His three-point percentage has jumped up from 32 to 39 as well, which is a big part of his field goal percentage jump. That's obviously a great field goal story. I have Nick Nurse going from quitting on the Raptors to becoming a <laughs> cult hero in Philadelphia. Yeah. Also getting two All-Stars on his roster, including one MVP. Yeah. Is is just an incredible come up for Nick Nurse. Yeah, he's, like, he's sweet right now. Oh man, yeah. for him, the last six seven months have definitely felt like a rejuvenation. I he's also have sweet. Rudy Gobert. He's sweet. <laughs> Rudy Gobert, a little sweet, but it's all good. Rudy Gobert went from this is the worst trade ever. How many picks did they trade? To now, mm-hmm. it's like, oh whoa, Rudy Gobert is the like league leader for Defensive Player of the Year, and he's anchoring the best defense yep. in the league for a team that I think is probably number one in the league in record right now. Minnesota? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. 19, uh, Actually, they're the half Celtics, a game behind the Celtics. Celtics, okay. my God. Okay, yeah. number one in the West, ultimately, right? Yeah. So that's a pretty good one. And then I put in here Kawhi Leonard mm. going from load managing at will. Literally games where he left the game at halftime being like, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm good on the rest of this. Mm. Yeah. To, <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he literally said Nia to the Uber driver as he left the arena <laughs> in the third quarter. Uh, to playing every single game this season. I looked it up. Kawhi yeah. Leonard is 16th in the NBA in minutes played. He's played more minutes than Pascal. It's the first <laughs> time uh, since the Raptors championship run that he's played 24 games in a row. And yeah, and he's playing back-to-backs as well. Obviously, the league changed the rules and all yeah. that kind of stuff, but the fact that he's physically capable of doing this um, is just impressive. So those are some feel-good storylines. Did you guys have a favorite between those? Uh, not necessarily between those. Rudy Gobert one is hard to stomach. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's it's real though, unfortunately. He's sweet. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the only other one that I, I added, and this is maybe some recency bias because he, he's played a couple of really, really good games in a row, but... Dante Axum, after being mm. out of the league, you know, at, at first just never really taking off because of injury and not living up to, you know, the, the draft standing as a fifth overall pick, bouncing around a little bit. He played in Spain two years ago, Serbia last year. Yeah. And yeah. that's not like a career ender. Like, you can do that. There are really good players over in Europe who could come back and contribute right sure. now. But given the way his the first act of his career played out with injuries and ineffectiveness to see him back and now starting mm-hmm. on a uh, like a playoff bound Western Conference team a, a team that absolutely has needed this from Dante Axum has been very cool as a yeah. guy who always you know hoped that it worked out for him uh, to a lesser extent my guy Chris Dunn is uh, is starting for Utah right now too those, those were both who he played for candidates for Yo, last week's episode that's also wild. just like, like again the fact that like the idea that the Raptors have poisoned me over the years and that I shouted out a guy averaging eight points a game and a guy averaging 4.8 points per game as like, yeah, it's, it's great that these guys Thank are huge, huge comeback stories. Um, the XM one has been cool though, especially that game the other night that he kind yeah. of swung on his own. That was awesome. You mm. know who I missed on this comeback story? Malachi mm. Flynn. Mm. Anyways, we got Bobby Marks joining us coming up to You can't discuss. come back if you were never there in the first place. <laughs> to dis- oh, wow. To, dis- you to discuss Tampa some Malachi, specifics man. about the Pascal 
Siakam extension, but first I believe William Liu has yeah. a message. Well, you know, as people have seen, if you're watching live or if you're watching on YouTube or on social, you've seen this like really, really nice fleece. Fire. I have to tell you, as the official beer of the Toronto Raptors, Coors Light wants to help make getting from the grind to the game a little bit more chill. That's why they've teamed up to create the limited edition chill fleece, which is what I'm rocking right now. The chill fleece has two sides, the work appropriate nine to five side, which is not this one, actually. It's the other side. And the Raptors game day ready chill side, uh, complete with an insulated beer pocket to hold your Coors Light. Seriously, there's actually a pocket in here that will hold uh, your lovely can of Coors Light. It was designed by Toronto-based designer Joey Golish, founder and creative director of Mr. Saturday. To get your hands on one, visit Union Market at Union Station on Wednesday uh, at 5 p.m. No purchases necessary. Must be of legal drinking age to enter. Okay. Before we take, before we take the break, yeah, uh, you, you show us off a little bit. Stay, oh, like, yeah, lean yeah, up yeah. in your chair. Let yeah, us see the I whole mean, thing. Do okay, a little spin right. for us. I mean, that's what the social posts after this. Yeah, it's a nice about. looking jacket. You it's, look, it's actually a really nice jacket. You look great in it, man. And just like the chill fleece, you also have two sides. Uh, if the Raptors <laughs> win and or if the Raptors lose. So yeah. this is this is going to be like, you know, Will's version of light and dark. If you remember when Shawn Michaels and Undertaker at WrestleMania, yeah. Shawn Michaels only wore all white because the yeah, counter. I love that. Will is going to be wearing the, the nice light side after wins yeah. and the, the all black funeral side uh, <laughs> after losses. Never knew you had a chill side, but sure, yeah. brother. No, don't worry. That's no, what, that's what Forrest is helping me try to do right now because I'm usually grinding, not chilling. But uh, we're going to take a break. I've been your host, Will. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, William Liu, joined by co-host Blake Murphy and we are also joined by Bobby Marks of ESPN who has taken a little bit of time out of his day to consult for us once again because Bobby we have we have to get you to explain this whole idea of like Pascal and his extension and how you know a team potentially wanting to trade for him right now could potentially extend him before free agency it's all very convoluted so we would love to hear What's what's the, I guess, arbitrary deadline for Pascal if you were to be moved right now? Yeah, I mean, I guess we call it a loose deadline, right? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, when you look at a player that's extension eligible, um, there's once that player is traded, um, there's a six month restriction as far as if it the, the acquiring team can give him the full amount in an extension here. The player can still be extended for um, an additional, in this case, two years, uh, I think it's two years, $84 million um, up until free agency. But in the case of um, Siakam, if he is traded, let's say, for example, on um, January 15th, the acquiring team cannot extend him for, um, you know, for that for that full amount of you know four years, $192 million. Basically, they're going to have to play it out and he will become uh, an unrestricted free agent. You still have his bird rights. You can still sign him and exceed the salary cap, but the likelihood is that the extension route goes off the table. So for a team that's interested in him and, um, you know, and, and he's still on the market um, come after January 1st, you just have to have that, 
you know, that understanding that he will be a free agent likely when, um, you know, when the offseason comes. Yeah. I mean, my thinking on this has been, you know, if, if it was going to be like a two step, it wouldn't be an extended trade you know, mechanically, but if a team traded for him with the understanding that you would then extend him, you know, the offseason made the most sense. And I wonder, Bobby, just how much a difference there is in, hey, if you trade, if you acquire Pascal by December 30th, let's say, on June 30th, you would be able to give him a contract extension. Free agency starts the next day. I'd imagine the conversations between the front offices and Pascal's representatives do not hinge necessarily on June 30th versus July 1st. How, how much actual value is there to that for a team? Because you know, Pascal's decision set is probably going to be the same on June 30th. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, rarely, and it's funny, you're, I, I'm, I'm starting to work on something regarding the Sixers, um, an article on the Sixers. The interesting thing is that rarely do free agents sign with teams with cap space. Um, that I think you look at the top 75 players, and I think there might be a handful that have signed with cap space. Um, so if you're a team that's acquiring um, Pascal Siakam, or if you're the Raptors and you hold on to him, the, the probably the more likely, you know, the odds are probably more in your favor of him re-signing with you just because the cap space game isn't there. Um, you know, certainly Fred uh, going to Houston is, is one of those guys, unfortunately. Um, Jalen Brunson in New York, uh, Durant and Kyrie in the 2019 offseason to to Brooklyn. Like there's there's not many of those marquee players here. It's usually extending or resigning with your own team. So I would say if if you're a team that trades for him on January 15th, I, I mean you just have to have an under a, a good comfort level that you're going to be able to resign him because trading multiple first or a young player here um, it's, it's a high risk here. And um, although it would be great if you get him in your building, you know, in the next two weeks and you can extend him here. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's an end all be all here. If he's, you know, if he's still on the roster past that, past that date, just because I think bird rights um, mm -hmm. are important for a team bird rights is important just because you can retain him and exceed the cap to, to, to sign him. That's probably more important than, him going out and becoming a free agent. And I always say that, and I've been part of trades where we've acquired players who are going to be free agents um, that were an extension eligible at the time. The biggest benefit for a team that, uh, if it's Pascal or OG or Gary Trent or one of these other players here, is that you have them in your building for six months. Um, you have a, an advantage because you can actively in-house recruit them for six months instead of meeting with them on um, June you know, whatever, 30th or July 1st in that, you know, that you have a four hour meeting, at least you have that player kind of in your building. Is it fair to categorize this maybe then that that kind of extension deadline or, or soft extension deadline, it's more relevant to the Raptors who, if they extend him, would then have to wait until X date uh, to be able to trade him. Let's, let's say Michael Grange of sports.ca, our colleague, laid out a scenario where, you know, hey, what if they extend Pascal and then revisit this in the offseason? He's a better asset because he has more years of control. There's more certainty, et cetera. But if the Raptors wanted to do that in the offseason, they would need to get that extension done a little earlier. Is it fair to say that matters more to the Raptors than a team that might be trading for him this February? Yeah, I think that's important too. I think the, the one thing you probably don't, I guess, want to do if the goal is to see what the market is for him is extend them on like February 1st, right? because then you're waiting till August, right? Mm -hmm. 
August 1st to be able to do it. And you're a month into free agency here. Um, now, if, if you're talking, you know, like, hey, like uh, January 5th, January 6th, hey, we're able to get a deal done. And then, you know, the mindset is let's see where this roster is in July. Um, now you have a player that's under contract for four seasons, um, you know, depending on what the number is. And it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to move than, you know, doing a sign and trade. And, you know, as you guys know, sign and trades are complicated. Mm-hmm. Kyle signed and trade, you know, whatever that was a couple, I guess, two or three years ago. It, it complicates things here. Um, but as we've seen, roster building um, rarely roster building these days is not through free agency. Like roster building is like free agency is like number three on the list of building rosters, certainly trades and the draft. Um, but it's just, you know, as I said, like the mark, either you extend with your own team, the marquee guys extend with their own team and then ask out a year later or two years later. Um, it, but it's like, you know, those 2010 Miami teams of adding three guys in, Brooklyn, what Brooklyn did in 2019, that just doesn't happen anymore where, um, you know, teams are loading up with two max players here. So that's why I think for um, for Toronto's perspective here, there is, you know, certainly an, somewhat of an advantage because of, um, you know, of where the market could be. I mean, the, the, what you don't want to do is overplay your hand and all of a sudden he signs with the Sixers this offseason <laughs> for nothing, right? Oh, like, yeah, I mean, an example like that here because – they're kind of the wild card team of these. We always hear teams about, you know, it's uh, Orlando and it's, um, you know, some of the rebuilding teams, uh, you know, maybe we don't put the magic up there anymore, but Detroit's and Indian, um, um, who else, you know, Houston's of the world in the past, there was all these rebuilding teams here. Um, now it's starting to, you're starting to see teams that, you know, Toronto, um, Orlando's got cap space, Philadelphia's got cap space, Oklahoma city's got cap space here. So they're all the, the better teams are the ones starting that have that that flexibility. So I'm thinking about from those teams' perspectives in terms of wanting to trade for Pascal or for an OG, how do you go about that? Because you kind of do need to get some sense of comfort in terms of this player, even though he's expiring, will resign. You kind of have that kind of idea in place. Uh, only until you get to that point are you comfortable giving up anything worth of value comparable to that player to the team that would actually make them accept the trade in this case, Toronto, have you been in those scenarios and sort of like, how do you go around that? Yeah. I mean, we went through it in, I guess it was 2012, 2012 or 2013, where we went out and acquired Gerald Wallace, who was on an expiring contract. And, you know, we gave him a lightly protected, I think it was a top three protected lottery pick here. And what it does is it, it gives the player a lot of leverage. Wait a minute, you just traded at the fifth pick in the draft. You mm-hmm. can't afford to lose me. And, and you basically, what happens sometimes is you go out and overpay that player to retain. Um, I guess similar to what, you know, um, Portland went through it with Jeremy Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, they acquired him um, a two, I guess it was two years ago, played out last year, and then he's a free agent. And then they paid him five years, 160, 160, 65 million dollars. They're basically kind of bidding against themselves, but but they had given up a, a some a draft pick here and they felt like, you know, we can't afford to lose them. And that's that's the danger of it is, is that if you give up a lot here, the player gains so much more of an advantage because the, the price tag just went up. Mm. Like you know, or you can just walk away. But you know, you walk away from giving up two first round picks and a young player you know, that's a that's a high risk for um, for a six or seven month rental. Yeah, I, I suppose Jakob Pertl will be the local example here in Toronto. Why, you know? man? 
Well, <laughs> they needed a center. You know, they needed a center to uh, play with Fred. All right, I have one more for you, Bobby. And this may be a little yeah. too early, but I, in, with this Pascal and OG stuff, I've been going through some offseason scenarios. You, you laid out that sure. a lot of teams, more competitive teams than we're used to, could have cap space here, barring trades for guys with bird rights. Is there a scenario where the Raptors could be a free agent player in which, you know, Pascal is traded because OG has a lower cap hold than the number he might end up getting. Yeah. And, and it's kind of a shorter term retool than, than a full step back. Is there a needle that they could thread there? Yeah. It's kind of like the Indiana needle, right? Kind of similar to what the Pacers were able to do here where, um, you know, they moved, I mean, you know, guys like Halbert don't become available, but <laughs> for example, so you, 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 if you moved, um, you know, one of the, let's say you moved uh, Pascal maybe or something and, or you didn't do anything. He just kind of goes to another team um, uh, or you could just get a draft pick back and you get an expiring contract. Um, you you could have the flexibility here based on, as you said, OG's hold cap hold. And um, you have, a, you know, a ton of expiring contracts with, um, with Gary Trent, um, um, Thaddeus Young, Otto Porter guy. I think there's like $40 million in, in, um, in, uh, in, uh, expirings that will come off the books here so you could you know indiana goes out and you know they got you know used 23 million dollars on um what bruce brown um you know their their way of doing things were pretty interesting because they wound up flipping brogdon uh a year ago for uh neesmith in a first round pick and that cap space be turned into bruce brown here so there are ways to um to you know you don't just have to have 60 million dollars in cap space to go out and get the double max guy like that just doesn't happen anymore but you could go out and get a 15 to 20 million dollar guy and kind of you know figure out who that's going to be it's a it's an i would say average um up top as far as marquee guys but there's a ton of i guess we call them those key reserves starter type players in that um in that middle area yeah okay bobby we we appreciate you for taking the time to explain this concepts to us and um you know i'm sure we'll be asking you questions about pascal yeah, I, I, would say, I would just say like yeah i mean i would just say for raptor fans like if december december 30th passes and pascal still on a uniform uniform don't like be like oh my god it's the <laughs> end of the world <laughs> it's not like it's just kind of a it's just a date <clears throat> right yeah, yeah, yeah. A date yeah. attached to something and then we just you just move on it just i think you lose a teeny bit of leverage but at the end of the day as, as blake said like Oh, so what? So now you can extend them on June on June twenty eighth, now June twenty ninth. Like, you know, how many guys signed four year, one hundred and ninety million dollars on a day before free agency? It doesn't really happen often there, but it is a date just to kind of look at as far as when when we get past it, as far as what what's the next layer of options that are going to be available there. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are just really antsy for any direction or any move to be made. So when they see a, <laughs> well, even like a small thing. deadline, I, I, they're like... I know you guys are running short time. Like As I said on Friday, when we officially, and I don't know if my bosses like this because we, we want to promote trade season. <laughs> Listen, there's been zero trades in the month of December the last two years, right? Yeah. 31 out of 37 trades happen the week of the deadline or on the deadline. Like, that's the week to focus in on. Like, I, well... Every year is different. Will things change? I don't know. But working in a front office, we react better when there's a deadline. Mm -hmm. When yeah. you tell me you at three o'clock on February eighth to make a deal, we're going to make a deal on February seventh. <laughs> You're not going to do it on January tenth just because something better could happen. Now that could change if you're a team like the Bulls, and all of a sudden a team says we're going to give you three expiring contracts and a future first for Zach Levine. And that, and you're thinking that might be the best thing that could ha you know, happen our way 
we're, we're going to have to take it and not wait until February 8th. So things things are basically can change, you know, on a year to year basis. Yeah. All right, Raptor fans, we got another month of this. All right, Bobby, appreciate you. Uh, if we don't speak before then, happy holidays. Thanks, guys. Happy holidays. All right. Bobby Marks, ESPN. Always very generous with this time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it is kind of a soft deadline. It really is. Yeah. Also, and, and this is like, I, I was a little scratching my head a little bit on Friday when like Raptors Twitter was like running with this. Like it was, you know, like a, a real hard deadline that people didn't realize. It was, I had just kind of, once the season started, I, like I don't see the value if you're the Pacers or the Hawks in like, well, you could extend them on June 30th. Like I just, it doesn't mean a lot to me versus July 1st. Cause like the important thing is getting the extension done before he joins your team and mm-hmm. you have the playoff results and things like that, like you, at that point, you know, you're just waiting and the agreement's the same. No, I don't think Pascal's camp is going to be like, if we don't sign this on June 30th, the offer won't be there July 1st. Like he's not going to get injured on, you know, a, an off day in the off season. And, and yeah. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, um, thank you for Bob to Bobby for uh, explaining that, laying that out. It's time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Uh, we have a couple updates and non-updates that okay. inform this line. So, uh, by the way, Raptors are, I'll, I'll say this first and then we'll circle back to 12-point favorites. Mm. That is uh, the highest spread that the Raptors have had uh, on the season. They have only been double-digit favorites once, and it was in that loss to Portland. Um, yeah, they're 9-1 and one in their last 10 over the last two years, though, as, when they're double-digit favorites. So uh, that Portland game aside, they had taken care of business in those situations. 12 seems extreme, though, for a team that has played this poorly and just lost it's to Charlotte. So the uh, LaMelo ball is still out, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Nilakina, Cody Martin. Those He's guys, on the Hornets? Yeah, okay. uh, those guys have been out pretty all right. much all year. Mm. Mark Williams, their really nice sophomore center, is doubtful. Uh, okay. He's been in and out with a back thing. So, you know, that's a he's you good. look at a Raptors team that didn't rebound particularly well the other day. He's a double-double machine. Mm. So he's doubtful. That's worth keeping an eye on. P.J. Washington and Gordon Hayward are both questionable. Okay. Uh, Gordon Hayward's been dealing with a stomach virus. So he's kind of been uh, out of the lineup the last little bit. Terry Rozier even has a thumb thing going on, but he's probable. And then um, this is uh, one we don't have a response from yet from the uh, from the Charlotte Hornets. I reached out to them for comment, but they have not responded yet. So Miles Bridges tweeted last night and then later deleted that he got denied at the border. Mm. Um, or it's a tweet. He didn't say it in those words, but it was a tweet that the context was clear that that's what happened. Um, Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer reported today that that is accurate and the Hornets were still in the process of working to see if they could get Bridges uh, into Canada in time and be available for tonight. So the Hornets have not commented on this publicly. Miles Bridges is not currently on the injury report. He's available as far as we know, Um, but that is out there. And Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer is kind of the number one Hornets guy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that's a lot of uncertainty with all those questionables, doubtfuls, probables, and the Miles Bridges question mark. I guess we'll see about an hour when the three of us all go down to the arena and, and watch warmups to see if he comes out, if he's around the team. But um, I mean, if he's around the team, he's going to play. It's, yes, it's, yes. it's whether he is around the team. Exactly. Um, yeah. Having said all this, I mean, this is just a lot of Hornets pieces out. Like I, I look, I, I know the 12 is a lot. Like I think going with the Raptors with minus 12 is kind of like going all in on a pair of fours or something. You're like, you're nervous because you're not actually going to beat that many teams, but come on. Like, the Hornets, if they're missing this many pieces, the Raptors should take care of business. 
Having said that, we've said that many times. The Raptors got down to this team. Look, and that team had Williams and, and Hayward, so that's a that's a big difference. Yeah. Um, but they were still down Lamelo in that game. The Raptors played against them, and the Raptors were down by sixteen instantly. Do you think if the Raptors lose this game, the fans will boo? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm okay. rooting. I'm rooting for a loss. It's a better show tomorrow if they lose. Is um, it? Yeah. It's the same it show as today. <laughs> but do you want to come in here and like? Rip out positives from a win over the Hornets. I would love Malachi to plus six in eight minutes. Now I would love to break down. Hey, the Raptors actually attacked a mismatch and put Terry Rozier in pick and roll. And yes, Terry Rozier got his twenty five points and twelve mm-hmm. assists, and you know had a hundred percent usage rate. But the Raptors actually saw a clear weakness on the floor and attacked it. That was how they came back against exactly. Charlotte. Scotty ended up with thirty one ten and ten in that game. They started mismatch type. Pascal had a good night in that one as well. Um, they started mismatch attacking because this isn't a very good defensive Hornets team. They're third last in defense, and they don't really have, you know, they're not as bad defensively as Raptors, but a similar thing where, like, there's not a strength. There's not an identity piece mm. that you're like, okay, this team is going to take this away from us. Terry Rozier's going to play 38 minutes in this game, and he's one of the worst defensive guards in the league. Like, you, you've got to be able to work that matchup to your advantage. You've got to find a way to stop him. Darko, find a way to stop. Terry Rozier. Scary hours. It's or it's Scaring gonna be or, or it's gonna be scary hours. But yeah, let's 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 go with the Raptors. That was between the lines. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. All right, we got two minutes left on the the program. Oh shoot. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Well, okay. So when we talked to Sav about this a little earlier, but yeah. when Darko was last asked about potentially changing the starting lineup, mm-hmm. it was last Monday after the game, and he said he'd like to give it another game or two because these guys are committed to making the change. Whatever. They then beat the Hawks. The starters played okay. They lost to the Hawks on Friday, mm-hmm. and the starters got pasted again. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the chances are there's a starting lineup change tonight? Uh, when he says there's like, give me one more, one or two more games, it's like when you haven't really done your project and then you go to your university professor and you're like, I just need an extension because I was uh, sick this weekend. <laughs> so you get one or two more days. It doesn't mean the project's any further along, man. I think it was just buying time. I, I, don't, I don't see the lineup changing. I see the reason for the lineup changing. I would love to see my experimentation. Um, I know people even were like, well, Darko did try taking Dennis out first. I think that was largely because tr- they were playing Trae Young, and that's what worked. And also, Dennis asked for that change. Yeah, that I mean, Den- Dennis kind of told us that that was the idea. And, so, you know, there was a little bit of, like, uh, there was also foul trouble in that first game, and then the rotation mm-hmm. pattern on Friday was not yeah. terribly different than what we're used to. So, it's that is one that who knows maybe they do it for Terry Rozier tonight. Which if you're changing your rotation patterns for Terry Rozier uh, on a six win, a uh, seven and seventeen rather Hornets team, um, it's it doesn't say a great thing about where you're at. But I I am curious to see if they don't make that change, yeah. do they at least change that pattern where instead of Scotty being the automatic first man out early and then he runs the second unit, do you maybe look to take Dennis and Jakob out early, see what those bench units look like with a, a go to pick and roll combination mm-hmm. on offense. Yep. And yeah, you're, there's an awkwardness in elevating guys or, or having Scotty Pascal and OG play more minutes with guys who haven't played that well. Yeah. But it's, you know, we got a 300 minute. You know how few line, five man lineups in basketball <laughs> say, end up at 300 minutes at the end of the season? Yeah. Well, the, it's funny about the Dennis Jakob thing because this is not the two, this is not to like, you know, pump our own, like, pump them, whatever. But like, we suggested this like two weeks ago. More than two weeks ago, we mm-hmm. suggested this. And so I'm really curious to see what will change. Chinese Darko Ryakovich. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. By the way, so that starting five has played 308 minutes together already yeah. through 25 games. It's got to be one of the highest the, uses. The Raptors only had two league. lineups to play that many minutes together all of last year. 
Yeah. One played 313 the, after they acquired Jakob's starting lineup, mm. and the regular starting lineup played 380. Yeah. So the Raptors are almost at that mark already. But one or two more games, Blake, things might change. Well, listen. Uh, they, they actually might, but it won't be for the right right reasons. Yeah, just get this win done tonight. All right, guys. All right. Anyway. You know how sad Will's going to be? He's going to have to flip the – well, you already flipped it around, but you got yeah. the, the dark side of the yeah, coat there. I love there. this fleece, man. You guys got it. Emotional damage. Are you guys getting these fleeces too? Dark dark side of the ring, dark side of the 90s, dark side of the, the jacket for the for the Will Lou and the, the Raptors lose. You guys chill as well. Please so, lose, Raptors. That does it for us today. Please lose. I'm your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sports Media Network. Make sure you find The Raptors Show where you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please re-interview the show. This one's again to Savannah Hamilton, Bobby Marks, producer and co-host Alex Wong, Blake Murphy, Burgers, Derek Brindale, Jennifer Wong, Davis, Sister, Aaron Manitette. Be behind the scenes tomorrow.